So good to be back with you all in Lang Auditorium. Come on, we're back in the holy place, God's house tonight. Last week we had, we got the wonderful opportunity because of the weather to go to Cross Point Church in Waverly. We're so thankful that, that church let us meet there, and that was it was a really powerful night last week. But I am excited to be back in this space together. We're so blessed to meet here every week. If this is your first time with us, my name is Derek, and I'm the director here at Chi Alpha. I'm so honored that you decided to join us this week. I hope that you can feel at home with Chi Alpha. Our mission is that you will encounter the love of God while you grow with your friends and grow closer to Jesus in this community. We truly want this to be the home away from home. If you are returning tonight and you've been around for a little bit, I'm also thankful that you're here. Thank you for coming in every week, choosing this place to call your family. Come on. I love you all so much. I'm so honored that you get to go alongside us as we reach the mission of God on this campus. You guys are seriously the best. Being apart for eight weeks for winter break made me realize just how awesome my job is because it was not that fun when you guys are all gone. But when you're back, I'm like, oh, hallelujah, life is good. Amen. Life's just not the same when you're not here. Also, I am so stinking pumped for LTC, leadership training class. LTC, come on, you're going to get your life changed, hopefully. If you did D groups over winter break, those discipleship groups, this is like D groups on steroids, on some more steroids that we've got like, jacked up on Mountain Dew or something because it's that much fun. It's going to be exciting. It won't be over Zoom. You're going to be in person. You're going to get to hang out with me, which might be good or bad depending. So if, you, if it's bad, you get to hang out with Pastor John or Casey or Katie, one of them, because they're, they're better, but that's all right. It's going to be fun. We're going to have so much fun. And if you have, like they said, if you have any desire to lead, any desires to grow as a kingdom follower or a kingdom leader, I highly encourage you to fill out that application. Take a leap of faith, even if you think you're not good enough. Because if you look at the 12 disciples, the people that Jesus chose to give his life to and spend his life with, they were not the people that you would look at and say, they're going to be the, the people who create the kingdom of God and who create the church. Not at all. So God, Jesus took a ragtag bunch of people and used them to change. Hallelujah. Thank God that buzz is gone. I was trying to act like it wasn't there and be Mr. Spiritual, but that was annoying the crap out of me. Anyways, thank you, sound guys. Let's give them a round of applause. They're so good. Amen. So anyways, do LTC. Back to that. Let's be official here. All right, have you guys ever done something really stupid? We got, oh, yes, we got some hands. I was not expecting that. Thank you for that. Where you just know you messed up big time. Well, I certainly have. It was one of the first weekends that I took Taylor, my wife, back to meet my parents. Oh, boy, he's all great. <laughs> Actually, things went well during the parents' part. Like, everything was fun. It was a great weekend. They liked her. I liked her. Hopefully, she liked them, or at least she said she did. I was on top of the world. I'm like, yeah, I'm a freshman in college. I got my girl. I'm about to change the world with this lady. We're going to get married way too soon, but God is good. Hallelujah. I'm a true Christian now. Ring by spring, baby, means I'm going to get, I'm just kidding, don't do that. Anyways, I was crazy. But I was really pumped up. Taylor and I get my Dodge Avenger all packed up in my family's house to drive back to Cedar Falls. We're like laughing and giggling, like, you know, the joyful freshman couple that's been dating for a month, and we think the world's great, put the car in reverse, back up, and crunch. Oof. That was bad. I had backed into my older brother's brand new truck, this very expensive truck. This truck was probably worth more than like my entire life. And for some additional context, I'm the youngest of five siblings, three brothers, 
me and an older sister. And the last thing you want to do is the baby of the family, especially when you're back from college. You're a freshman, right? And I'm like, I'm a big dog now. I've got my girl. I'm doing things well. I'm a man's man, okay? Big brothers, get ready to bow because I'm here. And I'm an adult now. I'm a grown-up. And then, back into my brother's truck. And you kind of lose that manliness that you're feeling. And I remember when I just backed into it, I just started to bawl. And I don't cry very often. I think Taylor's seen me cry like five times. And I'm just bawling like a baby. Taylor's probably really freaked out. Like, what the heck? My manly man is crying. What do I do? So she runs in. She gets my brother. And let me give a little background on my older brother, Mark. He's very, very masculine. He's got a big beard. I'm not, when I say down to here, this isn't an exaggeration or hyperbole. His beard is literally down here. I think I've seen creatures crawl out of it before. So he's got a big old beard. He like hunts. He's big and manly. And I think he just strikes fear into the heart of all of his enemies. And he also loved his truck. Just like any manly man, any hunter, they take pride in their truck. That truck, I've never seen a speck of dust on one of his trucks. Never. They're spotless. And he has two like, children, like toddlers. And I'm not quite as masculine. I like to read books and drink coffee and talk about my feelings. And I'll be honest, I was so scared. I'm like, he's about to get so mad at me. I am scared. He comes out and the beard looks me in the eyes. I I think it had his own eyes when he's looking at me. And I'm like, he's coming. He walks up. He knocks on my window. Hmm. And he grabs me, he says, Derek, it's all okay. It's just a truck, it's just a material thing. It's okay, it's no big deal. Seriously, I love you, you're all good. And then I'm just like, (laughs) I start bawling, because I was so scared. You know when you're so scared for something and then it's not as scary, and you're like, thank the Lord. So that was good. My brother had shown me so much mercy and grace. He had every right to be upset with me and say, Derek, why weren't you more careful? But he just showed me straight mercy. I love, my, I love my older brother, Mark, quite a bit. Let's fast forward four years. I got married, graduated, all these things. Taylor and I had just recently bought our Honda Civic that we drive. We just recently bought the house that we currently live in. And I'm inside talking to Taylor on the phone. We're having, again, another joyful conversation. We're just having fun. She drives home, and I hear the worst sound I've ever heard in my entire life. Like the house was shaking. I felt like it was an earthquake inside of my house. So I could hear it not only through the phone, but also in my own like space. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I go outside and I see my lovely wife has taken our brand new car and ran into our brand new house. The stairs outside of her house are, are ruined, not ruined, but they're hurt pretty bad. The car is hurt pretty bad. Hmm. In that moment, I wish I would have looked back to the mercy of my brother Mark and said, you know what, Taylor, just a material thing, honey. I love you. It's all okay. You're my sweet wife. Life is good. However, I'm not as loving as my older brother Mark. I was so mad. I... I yelled, said things I shouldn't have. I'm freaking out. I'm like, how do you hurt our car and our house in one swift movement? If it was just one item, I get it. But two for one special is not what I was looking for tonight. And I, I probably looked like an idiot to our neighbors. I'm like screaming, probably chucked something on the ground. I'm like, what the? Is, I didn't say the F word, okay? Don't give me that look. I didn't say, I probably said like freaking or something. 
come on, there's godliness still in me, just a little bit. But I was so angry, and I showed Taylor no mercy at all. I was the person who had been given all the mercy in the world when I screwed up driving. And then when someone makes a similar mistake, I failed to show them the same grace. We've all been in a place where we need mercy, where we screwed up and we need forgiveness. We all have seasons where we hurt others, maybe we hurt ourselves, or maybe we hurt God. Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe you've fallen into some sin issues lately, or maybe you have an addiction and you just need the mercy of God. Maybe you have not been spending time with Jesus. Maybe you haven't touched your Bible since before on a break. Maybe you've been disobedient. God has told you to do something and you've done everything but that. Maybe your life has been full of sin and you've not been in a good place in, the walk with the Lord, in your walk with the Lord. Or maybe you've never had a relationship with God in your entire life. You're not even sure if he's real if you're honest. However, you realize that life just isn't all that it's cracked up to be, that you aren't where you want to be. You make mistakes and you're not content and you're looking for something more. You feel like you've been chained down by the mistakes of your past and you want to experience freedom. Or possibly maybe someone has hurt you. Maybe someone has deeply, deeply wounded you and brought you pain and you're mad at them. Maybe you have bitterness towards someone. You're holding a grudge and you don't think you could ever, ever forgive them. This could be your roommate who never does their side of the work and they drive you nuts because they always leave your dorm room as a pigsty. Could be your ex-boyfriend who took advantage of you. And maybe you feel like they stole your innocence and you're deeply, deeply angry with them. Or maybe you grew up in a household where one of your parents was either absent or just terrible to you. And if you're honest, you're really angry with them. Maybe it's not like a constant verbal anger. It's not like you were with me with Taylor where you're screaming and saying things you shouldn't say. But maybe it's just like a a slow burn of resentment in your soul that's slowly but surely festering and growing inside of you. Maybe you have bitterness for these people, and these aren't conscious feelings, but subconscious of the pain of their mistakes has a hold on you. Tonight, we're continuing our series entitled, New Year, New You, Same God. And we're going to look to the new year, because most of us, when we go to a new year, we think, I've got an opportunity to reinvent myself. That's how I am. When 2021 hit, I'm like, we got goals, and we're going to do them. I'm a big goals person. We're going to change things about myself. But what we're going to do as we start off this semester is we look at the new me that we're trying to create. We want to see how can we take the new me and create it and mold ourselves and grow ourselves and be shaped by the constant God. Because we change, but God doesn't. These ideas all come from a book written by an old dead guy. Can you guys say old dead guy? Come on, I love old dead guys or gals. There's some awesome old dead gals are the best authors in the world. Anyways, our old dead guy of choice is named A.W. Tozer, and this is a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And he just discusses the characteristics of God throughout this book. Last week, we started off by looking at the idea that God is immutable. In case you forgot, immutable just means that God never changes. He's never going to change. His mind about you will stay the same. His love for you will stay the same. It's like the campanile. As hard as you try to push it, it's not going anywhere. However, even though God never changes, we can, right? We looked at the story of Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, and how Jesus never changed his mind about Peter, but Peter certainly changed as he went from a sinner, as someone who denied Jesus, to the person who was really the father of the church. And the same opportunity is available to us. If you missed this sermon, it's up on our website. It's on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and anywhere you can get a podcast. I highly encourage you to go listen to it. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to discuss a parable where Jesus tells us a story. That's a parable is just a story. 
to illustrate a point. It's just God saying a fake story that just helps us realize an idea. And this story is in Matthew chapter 18. You can go ahead and turn there if you have your Bibles with you. So what Jesus was doing in chapter 18 is he's showing his followers what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to live life in what he calls the kingdom of God? He's showing them these values, and these values are very different from the values of our world. For example, he teach them, teaches them that greatness is actually lowliness, meaning in the world we're told advance ourselves, get the best resume you can get, make yourself as great and as exalted as possible, and God flips that on his head and says, actually, no, greatness is serving your brother and your sister and loving people and lowering yourself so you can exalt other people. And as he's teaching this, he goes on to tell his followers that if someone wrongs you, first you need to confront them about it. He doesn't say, first you need to gossip about it and tell your friends and then confront them. He doesn't say to go tell everyone else. He does not say to subtweet it. I don't know if that's still a thing. It's cool when I was in high school. He doesn't say put it on your story, to put on your Instagram story right after you just change your profile picture from you and a boy to you by yourself so we all know that you broke up with this boy, that some people just stink. We all know who that person is. He says, go to the source. Amen? Amen. After sharing this, Peter, who's the same disciple we talked about last week, he comes to Jesus with this question, and I love this question that he asks us. And we're going to pick up tonight in Matthew 18, 21 through 27. It says this, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with the servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you for this word. Thank you for the, the text you've given us tonight. I pray that you just speak through this message and that we become a people who are full of mercy, just like you, God. We love you so much. Amen. All right, the big idea for tonight is this. God is merciful. God is merciful. We should be too. God is merciful. We should be too. Come on, I love seeing those pens go. We're writing that main idea down. Some people are getting on their arms, on the forehead. I'm really hoping to see my main idea on someone's forehead after service. It's never happened, but I pray for it and seek it every, day, every night beforehand. We'll get there eventually, though. All right, so God is merciful. So Peter is starting to understand what Jesus is like. So in this time, a good person, a good person would forgive someone three times. You get three times, like three strikes and you're out, right? We have all heard of that. This idea comes from biblical times where you forgive someone three times, you've been a good, holy person. And Peter is flipping this idea on his head. He's like, okay, forgiveness is good. Grace is good. I'm getting what Jesus is teaching. What if we forgive them seven times? That's double plus one. Come on, somebody. He knows that this is good, but we can't get crazy, right? Like, good things are only good in moderation. Like, you can't drink 30 cups of coffee in one day, and it'd be good for you. Only like 25. After that, it starts going downhill. See, Peter knows that we have to have moderation. And mercy and forgiveness must also be in moderation. So surely forgiving someone seven whole times would be enough. Jesus says, no, Peter. I'm going to take your seven and raise it. How about you forgive people 77 times? I want a disclaimer here, all right? 
So when he says 77 times, that's a figure of speech. This is not an excuse for us to get a little black book out, and every time someone does something to tick us off, we're like, check, check. And then once the 78th time comes, you throw the book in their face and start screaming at them and bringing the thunder down on their life. No, no, it's just, it's just like an idea, like a lot of times, not just saying actually at 77. So I hope we recognize that. Please do not number people's mistakes. It's uncomfortable in conversation when you bring out a black book after people say something. Either they're taking notes because you said something good or they're marking down one of your 77 sins. So let's not do that. In the story we're reading, this great king, this master represents God. And we are his servant. For context, when it says servant here, it doesn't necessarily mean like a servant, like someone who waits on someone. Like, you know, we think of like old times, like someone who comes in, like fills up their drink and their food and like massages their feet. No, no, no. That's not what it means when it says servant in this, the way the Greek is worded. That's the language that the New Testament was written in. No, this servant's more like, like a high-ranking official because like it's a master, right? So he's got people who work for him. So this isn't like someone who waits on him. This is someone who probably leads a part of his area, a part of his kingdom. So I think that's important to remember the context. It's not someone who's just like waiting on him. It's actually like this guy's probably got some power. He's probably got some control. Maybe he does a certain farm area. Maybe he collects taxes for the, guy, for the king, something like this. He would have been entrusted with a decent amount of money. And the debtor owes him 10,000 talents. We don't know what that means, right? So I did some research. 10,000 talents is somewhere between 10 million to $7 billion. Ooh, that's a lot of money. It's definitely more than a pastor makes. So this guy either royally screwed up his accounting or he's just really bad at his job and made some bad investments. He like invested in GameStop the other day when it was really high and then it went down again, I think, and people are yelling about it and all that crazy stuff. Anywho, he owed the master big time. And in Jesus' time, the obvious thing to do would be imprison this guy because he owes him a lot of money. Say, I'm going to imprison you, and your family needs to pay your debt. That's when we'll let you out. And we imprison him so he can't run away, right? But the master just says, we're going to sell you and your family. The reason he does that is because there's no chance the guy's going to be able to pay back that debt. So what's the point in imprisoning him waiting his time? Well, let's just sell him. Like, that's the best we can do. We're not going to make that much money, but we're going to try. So we did some more research and to see how long it would take to pay back this debt in Jesus' time. It would take 200,000 years for a day laborer to make that much money. 200,000 years worth of work to pay back his debt. So there's no chance of repayment. No chance that he could repay this amount. However, the, the master is compassionate. So if, remember, the servant got on his knees and said, please, master, forgive me. I will repay you in 200,000 years. So he clearly can't repay what he's saying, right? That's not possible. However, the, the master, he's compassionate. He's moved. He proceeds to not only release the man, but to forgive his debt. This is important. He doesn't say, you've got 30 days to make the money. No, he says, I'm going to wipe your debt clean. Your slate is clean. You are completely forgiven. And this is how we are with God. We are the guy in debt. We have rung up a big tab, and we owe big time. Something that's crucial to understanding this is to understand that God is a God of justice. A.W. Tozer puts it this way. God's compassion flows out of his goodness, and goodness without justice is not goodness. God spares us because he is good, but he could not be good if he were not just. 
To have goodness, to have a good God, we must have a just God. If God let wickedness and bad things go unpunished, that would make him not good, right? If we had a just, like a judge in our justice system who just let murderers and thieves and people who break the law go unpunished, we wouldn't think they're very good at their job, correct? Correct. We have to have justice. There has to be right and wrong. People have to pay a penalty for their mistakes. God's goodness demands justice. And according to Romans 3.23, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all placed things like our personal success, our personal goals, money, popularity, all this above God. We all struggle with pride, lust, greed, envy. We all have judgmental spirits. We have all broken the law. We all deserve punishment. Isn't that so joyful tonight? You're all staring at me like, this message stinks. There's good news. But this is crucial to understanding the character of God. I think too often we think too highly of ourselves. We ask questions like this. Why do bad things happen to good people? We hear that all the time with why to show that God isn't real, that why do bad things happen to good people? But the question we should be asking is why do good things happen to bad people? We have to understand the nature of our sin. We have to understand that we are deeply flawed and that we need mercy. We will never run to God and ask for mercy if we don't realize how much we need it. So again, we are not naturally good. At least I'm not. Just ask Taylor, my wife. So we don't realize we're in debt. How are we to ask our debt to be forgiven? The beauty of this is that while we are in debt, we're all screwed up and sinful. God does not leave us this way. God doesn't say, okay, enjoy being sinful and screwed up. Have a good day. No, 1 John 1, 9 says this, that God is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins. So all we need to do is we need to be like the guy in this story. We have to realize we're in debt. We have to realize we need mercy. And then we have to plead with the king and say, please forgive me. Please show me mercy. And God is full of mercy. He will forgive you if you ask. A.W. Tozer says this, if we could remember that the divine mercy is not a temporary mood, but an attribute of God's eternal being, we would no longer fear that it will someday cease to be. Mercy never began to be, but from eternity was, so it will never cease to be. So God's not actually just full of mercy, ready to give it to you. God is mercy. God is merciful. It's who he is. He doesn't pick and choose and say, you get mercy, you don't. No, it's just his nature. So if we confess our wrongdoing and if we ask for mercy, if we ask for it, he freely gives it to us. We don't have to worry about God doing his part. I think sometimes we think, oh, maybe God's not gonna forgive me this time. I've screwed up too much, so I'm just not gonna ask. No, don't worry about God doing his part. He'll give you mercy. You do your part and ask him for it. When we run to God and ask him for mercy, he completely cleanses us. Just like the king, he doesn't just partially forgive his debt. He completely wipes it away. And he does that through his son, Jesus. So to start, we need to realize that God is merciful. This is the basis of the conversation. But after we get to that idea, I think there's two groups of people in this room tonight. Some of us need to be like the servant, and we need to realize that we're in debt. If we don't realize that we need mercy, we'll never ask for it. I know sometimes I don't even think about my own sin, right? I just keep keep going through the day not realizing how messed up I am. I think I'm doing good. And I need to be reminded just how sinful I am, and I make mistakes every single day. Some of us think our sins aren't that big of a deal. It's like, I'm not sleeping around with a bunch of people. I'm not going out and get crazy on the weekends. I'm not stealing anything. I'm not hurting anyone. Like, I haven't shot anyone in the last week, so I'm doing all right. 
I'm just a little greedy. I'm just a teensy-weensy bit prideful. I just think a little too high or too low of myself. It's not like I'm watching porn every day. Ooh, that's getting awkward. Wait till the next series. We start talking about dating. It's going to be fun. But it's not like I'm watching porn every day. It's when I walk by and I see a pretty girl or a handsome guy, I do a little double take. Well, up and down, it's a little lust. It's no big deal. I think we think too lowly of our sin. But the Bible says this in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of it all. We need to realize the depth of our sin, that if we fail at one point, we fail at it all. Some of us think too lowly of our sin. We need to realize that at our core, we need mercy. Practically, when we realize we need mercy, we need to confess to God and to other people. We confess to God to receive forgiveness, right? If you tell God that you need forgiveness, he's gonna give you forgiveness. So we confess to God to receive forgiveness, but then we also need to confess to other people so we can experience freedom. So we confess to God to receive forgiveness and we confess to other people or our community so we can get freedom. Because how are people supposed to help us on our journey with Jesus and to help and keep us accountable and challenge us if they don't know what we're struggling with? We need our friends if we wanna overcome our sin. We can be justified just because of God, but we cannot break the chains of our lives unless we get a team of people around us to help us overcome our shortcomings. That's why we believe in small groups so heavily here at Chi Alpha. If you're not in one, I challenge you to get in one. Others of us, we realize how big of a, sin, how big of a deal our sin is. We think our sin's a big old deal, but we don't realize how big of a deal the mercy of God is. God is big enough and merciful enough to cover your sins no matter what they are. You need to accept that God is mercy and that his grace covers your sins. You do not have to earn forgiveness. It is a free gift from God. Here's the beauty of it. Ready for it? We can't earn our forgiveness. We can't earn mercy. Our debt is too big. Just like that servant, he could not repay his debt. You and I cannot repay our debt in the eyes of God. Only by the mercy of God can our debt be forgiven. So stop striving, for perfect, stop striving for perfection and accept the gift of the mercy of God and go and sin no more. Just like we talked about last week, God's not changing, but we should, right? We can't just keep doing the same things over and over again expecting different results. So yes, God is merciful, but we also need to change the way we live our lives. But we cannot stop there, though. So God is merciful. We should be too. We didn't actually finish our story earlier. So we're going to go back to Matthew 18. We're going to pick up in verse 28. And let's remember, the king, had just, or the king had just forgiven the servant's debt. Wiped clean. He's free to go. Matthew 18, 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant, or his servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported it to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me? And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This servant is shown so much mercy, and he shows none. We have to remember that the first servant, he owed millions to billions of dollars of debt. That's a lot of money. 
The second servant owned 100 denarii. That would be roughly twenty dollars to $40,000. Not a small chunk of change. However, when he said he's going to pay his debt back, he actually could. And this time, it's not going to take 200,000 years. It's going to take roughly a third of a year to pay back his debt. So it's not a ludicrous statement like the first servant, but the first servant doesn't even give him a chance to earn his money back. He shows him no mercy. He gives him no opportunity to repay him. Too often, we are like the first servant. We have an unimaginable debt, and God makes it null and void. God wipes our slate clean. That is good news, people. God has forgiven us, and we are clean in his eyes. He shows us complete mercy and compassion, but then we fail to do the same. We fail to show mercy to the people in our lives. We hold on to bitterness, and we show no grace. We're cut off in traffic because for some reason, roundabouts are really hard to some people. They just don't get it. Oh, I get so mad in roundabouts. Like, I'm just going, and someone pulls out. I'm like, stop it. It's not that hard. They've been here for like three years, people. Anyways, that's a separate sermon. I could preach a whole sermon on roundabouts. I enjoy them. No one else does. Anyways. Or maybe someone's having a bad day, and they're kind of rude to us. They're like, snap at us, you know, when your roommate's kind of snippy or someone in your class is kind of rude, and you're like, you're dead to me. How dare you be rude to me? I'm having a joyful day, and you just peed on my Cheerios. My day's done, and you're done. And we're all upset with them. Like, and then, when we're kind of rude to people, or we lack kindness, or we're snippy, we justify and say, well, I've had a rough day, okay? I've had a sad day. Show me some grace. We justify our own mistakes and shortcomings, but then we think the worst of everyone else when we see their mistakes. Mm, that convicted me when I wrote it. But that one stung. <laughs> Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe we've got some really deep wounds. We talked about this earlier. Maybe your parents left you at a young age. Maybe they were abusive to you. So I personally don't have any experience with this. I was really blessed to have amazing parents, but my wife Taylor had a, had a father who wasn't really in the picture, and so through her I've gotten to get a little bit of a glimpse of what this is like, and it stinks. I'm really sorry that that happened to you. I truly am. I can't imagine the pain. However, it can be easy in these situations where our anger seems to be justified to let bitterness overcome us. It's easy to not recognize that God is merciful and we should be too, even when it's really hard. There's no asterisk next to the word mercy with a footnote in the bottom that says, as long as they deserve it. Even there are situations we need to be merciful when in earthly standards they have not earned one ounce of grace. To the world, they have no reason for you to give them grace. In heavenly standards, like in the kingdom of God, we have not earned one ounce of grace. I'm very thankful my Father in heaven doesn't give me what I deserve. In our story, the first servant who was shown mercy was owed a decent amount of money. So it wasn't like him being angry wasn't justified, right? Like, the guy owed him 30 grand. That's a decent chunk of change. Like, in earthly standards, he had every right to not show mercy and to say, you're going in jail, pay it back, or we're, I'm done with you. People do screw up. People do hurt us. Hear me. Pain is real. But until we realize how big our debt is, 
We will not be able to overlook other people's debt. We will not be able to show mercy until we realize just how much mercy we need. And the mercy that, that we're supposed to give is very, very minuscule compared to the mercy that we're supposed to receive. So I pray with all of my heart and soul that you guys have all seen the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Outside of King Jesus and you guys, I think the thing that's brought the most joy to Taylor and I's marriage has been the Marvel Universe, and that's not an exaggeration. We've watched it all the way through, I think, two to three times. Okay. We don't have any kids yet, so we got time. So in the first Avengers movie, hopefully you've seen it, the Avengers team up, and they take down Loki and his alien army. It seemed like a huge deal. Like, I remember when we watched him, like, wow, Loki's bad. He's bad to the bone. That army's huge. He's powerful. He's got a scepter. He, like, boing, he gets people to change. And it took six Avengers to defeat him. Six whole Avengers? Loki was a big deal. Remember, I walked out, I'm like, dang, I'm scared of Loki. Fast forward, 17 movies later, and the Avengers are fighting Thanos and his army. Again, Loki took six whole Avengers, or six superheroes, three of which didn't have any superpowers, to defeat him. Thanos took roughly 25 Avengers and three armies of super people to defeat him. Thanos was a big deal. He was way more powerful, his army was much bigger, and he was way more challenging to beat. So looking back to the first Avengers movie, it's like, ha-ha, Loki was so cute. Took six whole Avengers to get him down. Like, I could probably do that. Like, Thanos took 25 Avengers and three armies. Come on. The wrongs people do to us, they're like Loki. They stink. They hurt. It's painful. It's really hard. It takes some work to be merciful and to forgive people who wrong us. It takes six Avengers for us to show people mercy because they have hurt us. Our wrongs in the eyes of God are like Thanos. They're much, much bigger, way deeper. We have a much larger debt. It takes a lot more for us to be shown mercy. It takes 25 Avengers and three armies for us to get mercy. What that actually means is it takes the God of the universe paying the ultimate price for our debt to be paid. When compared to the cost it costs us to show mercy versus what it costs God, we simply cannot help but be merciful. How dare we not forgive the people who have wronged us when we've been forgiven of much more? If someone's detrimental to you or if they're abusive to you, I am not saying you need to let them back into your life. Please hear me. You do not have to let toxic people invade your life. That is not what this message is saying. However, you do need to forgive them and show them mercy. In your heart, you must release bitterness. I think we need to forgive some people here tonight. Maybe you need to make some calls after service. Maybe you need to talk to someone in this room after service. Maybe you need to pray to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness, for your bitterness, and pray for him to help you not be so bitter. Are you bitter? Think about it. Is there someone that you're bitter at? Here's the news for you. Our bitterness towards people doesn't actually hurt them at all. They are not impacted by it at all. All it does is hurt us and get in the way between us and God. 
We're not hurting them by being mad at them. They might not even know. But it's putting a darkness in our soul and our heart and bringing us down and chaining us down by the pains of bitterness. We must be people who are full of mercy because God is merciful. We should be too. God is merciful. We should be too. Maybe you're here tonight and you're wondering, well, what did it cost God to show us mercy? Why does mercy need to cost it all? Shouldn't mercy and grace be free? When looking at the mercy of God, we cannot forget the justice of God. Remember, for God to be good, he must be just. He cannot be good and just. They do not work or unjust. Justice is mandatory in a proper society or else there's going to be chaos and anarchy. We have to get that in our bones. There has to be justice because crimes have to have a punishment, right? We would not want murderers running around. I hope we all agree with that. But the beauty of God's justice system is that while he is the judge, he's also the one who pays the debt. For example, I want you to think about the money that the servant owed the king. Let's go back to the story. So that money that he was, like the debt, the millions or billions of dollars, it had a purpose. Money just doesn't just go in thin air. There was some purpose for that money. Maybe that money was supposed to be used to advance their kingdom, to build roads, to do something to help the practical lives of the people. Maybe it was supposed to be paid to someone else. Maybe the kingdom had debt to someone else and they had to pay someone else. Maybe it was supposed to be used for food or protection or something. Or maybe the money was just supposed to be in the reserves as a safety net. But the money had a purpose. Even if it's just savings, the money had a purpose. And since the servant did not have the money for that purpose, someone had to fill the gap. That money had to be come up with. So when the king wipes away the debt, he's not just saying, your debt's forgiven, let's all forget about it. No, he's saying, I'm going to pay your debt because someone has to. He's not going to charge other people extra. He's going to take it out of his own account. He's paying the debt because the money has to come from somewhere. That's just simply how life works. So he wasn't just forgiving him. He was paying his debt He was paying the price of the servant's mistake. And this is what God did for us. God didn't just forgive us. He pays for the justice that we deserve. Every crime must be punished, and he pays the price for our punishment. So God sent his son Jesus to pay our penalty. Jesus came and did what we could not do. Jesus is the only human being in history to not accrue any debt. He had needed no mercy at all. He was perfect in the eyes of God. However, he paid the price for us needing mercy. This is just like the king paying the debts or paying the servant's debt right out of his pocket. Jesus paid for our debt to him. Our debt to him, he paid it. Jesus paid our penalty through dying on a cross for you and me so that we don't have to. See, the price of our debt, what is our debt? Our debt is death. We deserve death because like I said, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve death. That is what we deserve because we're messed up. But Jesus looks at that debt and says, guess what? You're not paying and I'm going to. 
I will take death and the beauty of Jesus. And the reason that our lives are devoted to him is because he does not only pay our debt, he conquers our debt. Jesus says, death you have not won today. So Jesus goes and he dies on a cross for our sin by paying our debt. And three days later, he comes out of a grave and says, I have won. I'm not only your savior, I am your victorious king here to conquer. He defeated death once and for all, so now we're all free. All we need to do is accept this free gift of mercy. We do not have to earn it. We simply cannot. We just have to say, yes, my king. Maybe you're in here tonight, and if you're honest, you've been running from God. You've never given yourself to him. You've never accepted this mercy. You've never ran to your king and asked him to forgive your debt. He wants you to do this tonight. He wants to pay your debt. Maybe you're here and you have been following God, but you have not realized the weight of your sin. You haven't realized just how much mercy you need, how fallen we are. God wants us to realize the weight of our sin tonight. And maybe in not realizing the cost of our sin, we haven't been full of mercy to other people. We've been given mercy, but maybe we're not showing it. Maybe you're holding a grudge tonight. Maybe you've got some bitterness in your soul. Maybe you have some unforgiveness towards other people, whether it's from your past, your family, from your friends, someone in this room. And God is calling you to release all of that tonight. The bitterness isn't hurting anyone besides you. If you'll stand with me. We have been forgiven of, very, of, of, of so, so much. The least that we can do is show the same kind of mercy to those around us who have wronged us. We have an amazing opportunity to get a glimpse of what it's like to be God. We can turn the other cheek and show mercy to the people around us. I pray that we are a people that are so full of grace and we give second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth and 77th chances that we're never out of second chances with the people in our lives. I pray that for our group. I pray that we're a group that does not hold the mistakes of people's past against them, that someone can slap us across the cheek and we turn the other cheek and say, I'm still here for you. I'm not going anywhere. I love you no matter what you do. If we are that to this campus, the campus will be turned upside down because we live in a culture that if you upset someone once, you are dead to them forever. Let's change the culture and be a people who say, you can slap me, you can spit on me, you can punch me in the face and nail me on a cross, but I'm not going anywhere. I still love you. That's what our king did for us. So why can't we do the same? I want us to be the most loving and forgiving people on the planet. Watch the freedom we run with when there's no bitterness holding us down. We must be merciful. God is merciful. We should be too. If you're here tonight and you're honest with yourself, you've been running from God. You've been running and you've been accruing a big old debt. And you want to be like that servant and be on your knees tonight and beg, God, please forgive me for my debt. Please show me mercy. If that's you, I'm going to give you opportunity in a few seconds. 
to raise your hand as an act of obedience, as an act of pleading with God and saying, I need your mercy, God. No one's looking around. Just between you and God. On the count of three, will you raise your hand? One, two, three. Thank you, I see those hands. Thank you, Jesus. I'm gonna pray for you tonight. Jesus, we love you so much. God, thank you for your mercy. God, please forgive me for I've sinned. God, I need your mercy, Jesus. We all need your mercy. God, thank you for being faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We love you so much, King Jesus. There's a second question for you tonight. If you're in here and if you're honest with yourself, there's someone you need to forgive. Maybe it's a parent, a roommate, a friend, an ex-boyfriend, an ex-girlfriend, and you want to release that bitterness tonight. I'm going to count to three again. And this time what I want you is I want you to raise both hands. And the reason we do this in worship is an act of surrender. We don't just raise them to raise them. We raise them saying, I surrender. God, take it all. Take it all away, Jesus. And so on the count of three, I want you, as we sing this song together, to raise your hands in worship and physically release the bitterness in your life. Physically say, God, I'm done being bitter. I'm going to be a person of mercy. I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. And if you want to release bitterness, just raise your hands in this place tonight as we worship. Jesus, I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you so much. Jesus, I pray that you take the chains of bitterness off of our group and that we become the most merciful group on campus, God. I pray that we are people who love so dearly because you've loved us. We love you so much, Jesus. Amen.